Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we share a big old bowl of beef lo mein with the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnston, and this is my handsome and accomplished brother, Thomas Johnston. Am I handsome like Donald? <laughs> draw you like we draw the like you draw your French girls. <laughs> um. Now, obviously, this is not one of those body swapping uh, shows where our voices stay the same. You know, because like your your voice is obviously t- what your voice sounds oh, like is well, obviously tied to your not, soul. It's because we're not recording an inner monologue. Yeah, like the voice is coming right. out of us. Well, no, but in some of them though, they actually just keep the voice the same too. Usually these are in cartoons for children, so you're not, like, confused. But actually, you're more confused. It's more confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get started. Let's, I think we should get into it. Let's do it. So today we watched... <laughs> so today we watched um, episode 11 of season two. Judy, you're not yourself today, um, which I will summarize. Donald, here you're still a gun nut. <laughs> Donald, I like your pajamas. No. Okay. <clears throat> you ready? Donald and Judy lead a closed and eccentric existence, safe inside their suburban home, until an itinerant cosmetic salesman upends their domestic domestic bliss. Itinerant. Carry on. <laughs> Will Donald's trigger-happy commitment to protecting his home be enough to overcome the dark powers of body switcheroo? Will Judy's magpie-like love of all things shiny be her ultimate undoing? Tune in to find out in Judy, You're Not Yourself Today. Yeah. Um, so this is directed by Randa Hines, um, who kind of... She has not done anything that I have personally seen. Um, it seems like the most famous thing that she's done... Is she directed an Academy Award-winning film, uh, Children of a Lesser God? That's kind of her claim to fame. And then she's sort of all over the place after that. Like, she'll direct, like, a TV show, and then she'll do a movie. It's all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, It's written by Scott Nimmerfro. um, And he... (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know. This is, too, this is too bad we're talking about real people, but just the way that last name sounds like, which is totally a real last name. No, Scott Nimmerfro, who we assume is a real person, um, yeah. but uh, he's primarily a writer and producer, um, and he has written 11 Tales from the Crypt episodes. Um, oh, wow. This is his first one, so we're going to talk about Nimmerfro a lot. And he's pres- mm-hmm. and he's pr- classic Nimmerfro. And well, we're gonna know because he's also produced twenty seven episodes of Tales from the Crypt as well. <laughs> um, this man is the auteur whose fingerprints are all over Tales from the Crypt. And he's so much of an MVP that he'll also go on to uh, direct an episode of Perversions of Science as well. Oh God! Which wow. is the science fiction, the sexy science fiction show that spun off. Tales from the Crypt. I think it's funny that Tales from the Crypt itself is like the titillation is implied, but perversions of science, we need to make it real clear these are going to be sexy robot stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just kind of weird. Um, well, I, I guess, I guess though, but like exploitation and grind horror, you know, sort of has the, the sex is usually implied, but I don't think people aren't normally like, you know, sci-fi that that hot genre that's full of full of you know steamy encounters of the close uh, I, never mind close encounters of the steamy kind i suppose you know? i mean we watched some episodes of perversion of science i i guess they all were kind of sexy but like there were ones that definitely no, weren't no. and it's not like no, it's I, like it's not like tails spelled as in like you're behind of the crypt <laughs> butts from the crypt no actually i think versions of science is just that the host is a sexy robot so it would be like if tales from the crypt was you know if they butts were like, from the crypt with the sexy crypt keeper and that's the only thing that's different yeah very weird why hello boys and ghouls I'm the Crypt Keeper. Please, like please do not talk about this. I'm recovering. <laughs> Erotic I'm, Crypt Keeper. Porn Crypt Keeper. I'm voice. recovering from a stomach bug. I'm not like super stable yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want a York on my John learns that shooting things isn't always the best way to Stop. go about it. Stop it. Stop it now. Um, but the, 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 well, I think this episode is particularly, spoilers right at the top. I thought this episode was really good and it's primarily really good because the acting is very fun. Um, so let's get into the cast a little bit. So Frances sure. Bay is simply uh, credited as witch. She's the person who comes into Judy and Donald's home and switches bodies with Judy. And She's the cosmetics peddler. Indeed. The, the makeup gypsy. She was there to sell makeup. But Judy saw more. She had style. She had flip. Yeah, that. Um, and so this actress you have seen in many things, I guarantee. She's, a, she's in a lot of... Um, She's usually a character actress. But this person was born in 1919 in Alberta, Canada. <laughs> and she started her career in 1930 as a radio actress. So, like, doing, like, radio dramas. Like, lots of, like, <laughs> wait, but who's at the door? Thump, 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 thump. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Good grief. It's the police. That's right. We're here to get you. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, I made of a gangster. You Wait, I mean? yes. it's the police. Also, it's thundering outside. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> um, Tune in next week. And remember, kids, always eat your blue coal and burn Ovaltine in your house to keep it warm. The shadow knows. Um, and she made the jump to film um, at the age of 59. So she, mm. she like. Did a radio actress thing, she took a couple of years mm-hmm. off, and then she, right on the the knife's edge of sixty, she started. Yeah. She uh, took on a small part in a the comedy Foul Play. So she was like, "It's the seventies. I can be in movies now." I suppose, but there's a foul, I thought it was interesting because Foul Play is a movie that you and I also are very familiar with in our in yeah. our in our family. We refer to it as the Laughing Snake movie because it has that scene yeah. with that bowler constrictor where it laughs. Also, also a movie that's kind of uncomfortably sexual. Yeah, yeah. Um, her first major television appearance occurred when she was playing um, f- the Fonz's grandma in Happy Days. <laughs> <laughs> and she maintained oh, awesome. her relationship with Henry Winkler for the rest of her life. Um, Friend of the show, Henry Winkler. <laughs> because this is really sweet. She says that... Um, Winkler, she said he was just a sweet guy, that he had lost his Mm -hmm. own grandmother in the Holocaust, and uh, kind of she took him on uh, as his, as what she called his virtual grandma, and they maintained their relationship. Holy cow. I know, kind of, it was very sweet. Um, She's a favorite of David Lynch. She was in, she's the, Mm -hmm. the nutty aunt in Blue Velvet. She also appears in Wild at Heart, and then most, like probably most uh, notably, she's Mrs. Tremond in Twin Peaks and the various movies that go along with Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. She is not in the current Twin Peaks season because she passed in uh, 2011. Um, but good long, good long life, an interesting career. <laughs> Michael Sarah got all of her lines. <laughs> One assumes. <laughs> Um, and then we also have Carol Kane, um, who uh-huh. at the time I don't think was as famous. She does not get top billing in this. Uh, Frances uh-huh. Bay does. But now Carol Kane is definitely more famous than that other woman. Um, she's a, <laughs> than, than whatever her name is. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Then I'm kidding. She's a wildly profi- prolific actor. Um, she's a Carol's a comedian. She's vacillated between leading roles. Um I didn't realize that most famously her leading her her most famous reading ro- leading role, um, she was opposite Danny Kay. Doesn't that give you like a weird? I feel like <laughs> yeah. that's one of those factoids where it's like we are closer in time to Cleopatra than she is to the construction of the pyramids, and you're like, how could that mm-hmm. be? Um, but yeah. it is. Um, and she's Danny Kay must have been pretty old though, right? I mean, she's. Uh, I think she's his romantic lead. But I mean, it's probably like one of those movies where it's like, hey, look, Danny Kaye still got it. And he's going to creep on a 24 year old. Probably. She is incredibly beautiful looking in this in that movie when you see stills of it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, she's highly memorable because she has um, she always has wild, crazy, curly hair um, and a distinctly raspy voice. That's her most uh, defining mm-hmm. characteristic. Um, she has been in such things as Annie Hall, The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. She's the uh, 
She's the um, what's that guy's name? The magical. Mm. Oh, uh, Miracle Max. She's Miracle Max's wife. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. Um, she's in Scrooge. <laughs> Miracle Max's partner, his girlfriend, his lover. She's in. Uh, she's also in your main, um, least favorite movie of all time, Scrooged. Um, and in one of my very favorite movies of all time, uh, Joe versus the volcano. Oh yeah. Um. She's never really stopped acting. She's always in a couple of things a year. She's very consistent. Um, but most recently, she was uh, had a lead role in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And that has really oh, un- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. unlocked her, uh, like brought, brought her back into public consciousness. And she's busier than she's ever been, especially now that she's doing a lot of vocal acting work. Um, she has a reoccurring role on uh, the Disney cartoon Tangled. TV series. Mm. Yep. Mm. But those are the most, by far the most famous people um, in this particular episode. Yeah. What, uh, Brian, did you find anything on Brian Kerwin? Donald? I don't think I found anything in particular. He was in like a bunch of, um, he was in a bunch of like soap operas, but he, I was gonna say he has he has distinct soap opera actor energy, like in a in a good way. Yeah, he. I mean, he's another actor who's been who's been acting consistently. He's in like a ton of stuff. Yeah, know? this episode. I think I think this this episode. Now oh, here, hold on. We gotta go. Uh, we have to do all the bingo card things. I think in this movie, which is really really a three hander, uh, he has. This is the rise of the character actors. Yeah, I mean, but those those other two are far more famous than yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Like well, of course, he of course. he's yeah. kind of the king of like, like I'm just like looking at his IMDb right now, and he's like, it's like Nip Tuck, Grey's Anatomy, Medium, Boston yeah. Legal, and all of these things are like at most he's in four episodes. Yeah, no, no, he I was know, in I three know. episodes of The West Wing. He was in two episodes of Frasier. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, take that, Carol Kane. No. No, but, but just to say, these people are all, um, and, cer- and certainly at the, at the time, Francis Bay, of course, very, very famous even then, but still, you know, kind of character actors, people you remember like, that guy from that thing. It, this episode is definitely of that flavor as opposed to the Hollywood slumming uh, flavor. Yeah, um, that's and all backed with a crazy tango beat. Yeah, I do like the, the, the soundtrack. It's pretty great. The sound design on this is very good. Do, do you ever wonder if uh, if you got Randa Haynes like bought her beer and everything if you get her to make some wild uh, J.K. Rowling-esque uh, claims like I always really thought of this as a silent movie <laughs> I don't <laughs> think mo- so I, too many people in this in this episode have to really distinctive voices but you know, I mean, you know what I mean the sort of tango the kind of uh, pantomime acting a little bit sometimes you could totally I you could maybe cut this together in a funny way with uh, with uh, the I don't know what the technical term for it is. The silent film, like, speak dialogue cards, you know, every now and then. <laughs> Who's that at the door? I'll shoot him with my gun. Yeah. Oil my gun. I got kind of some Tom Stoppard energy from this. <laughs> maybe. A little maybe. Um, although just I don't the, think that, the... I don't think that Tom, I mean, maybe. This is, I think, one of the more uh, morally complex episodes. Well, yeah, no, it let's, kind of let's buries, dive right in. It kind of buries what the moral probably is. I think also you and I talked about this just very lightly and so as not to give it away or anything to each other. I don't know that this is the case, but I think you and I have a little bit different take on it. And I think you and I like it for different reasons a little bit, maybe. 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 We'll have to find out. I think that generally speaking, this episode is about... Um, preservation and violence mm-hmm. um, the episode opens with this the, like the tango music that will get that will, will only like kind of wind faster and faster and faster as the episode goes on as you see mm-hmm. all of these little these little um, porcelain figurines like Hummel figurines that decorate their home and then you see uh, you see Donald taking aim at like a larger white a- angel porcelain figurine with his giant gun before Judy mm-hmm. calls him to breakfast. And I think, I mean, obviously, I think what it's trying to do is it's trying to foreshadow 
to what will eventually happen um, <clears throat> of him eventually killing Judy with his gun. Mm-hmm. But I think that you have sort of this tension between, um, and I think that Judy is is represented by these frozen little brittle porcelain figures, um, in the fact that she is 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 kind of constantly trying to maintain her beauty. You know, she's mm-hmm. like she's always like s- slapping the underside of her chin. You know, keeping that skin very supple, applying creams, and she's sort of the mm-hmm. angel in the house from a very Victorian standpoint, um, maintaining herself. And then Donald is supposed to be uh, is supposed to be sort of the protector of that house. And he has this this overinflated sense of his ability to control a situation with a gun. And she has this overinflated sense of her ability to preserve his, her physical form. And ultimately, it's both of their undoing. And they're also both pretend British. Well, we can explicitly. get we'll get into that. I had a lot of thoughts <laughs> yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, so yeah. To just to ask the question we always ask, what do you think the moral is? I mean, I think the moral is that you don't have as much control that the things you have that you think will help you control what you're afraid of are actually can be your undoing. So like yeah. Donald Donald talks about like he like he's uh, when the also early on the app, he talks about how you can't just let the whole world into your living room and that his mm-hmm. gun is what makes him be ready for the outside world. But of course, the only the only people he shoots are people that were recently his wife or are currently his wife. Right. Right. Um, I um, so I agree with your read, though. I also think that of all of the episodes we've seen so far, this seems to be to feel like the most morally murky in that do you feel like the end feels like earned comeuppance are you are you like yeah those people got what they deserved because i i I don't think so i feel like this is overly harsh sort of tragic comic yeah this is this is a this is about as bleak as it's ever been um at the end of an episode i only disagree because three is a crowd is something we've done yeah but it, yeah, that's true. But it kind of reminded me of that as well. Like, I don't think I think that we're supposed to be sad that Judy dies. I don't think we're supposed to think yeah. that Judy is what's is what is. Um, it, I don't think we're supposed to think that Judy deserves death in this moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I think that it's not really about her so much. I think that she is representational of the the stuff inside the stuff inside Donald's little kingdom that he is mm-hmm. attempting to protect and control and maintain um, dominance over with his gun mm-hmm. and she definitely gets off on being in that role like she lo- like sure. you know she loves yeah. being like the helpless little wife um, mm-hmm. and that relationship is ultimately toxic and he's destined he is destined to ruin that so i kind of think donald deserves it i mean like this is a lunatic who's like brandishing guns at door to door at people knocking on his door yeah, right but but also though doesn't the actual story sort of uh affirm his worldview like yeah don't let the witch into your house <laughs> you know like it's it's it just feels a little bit or tricky maybe, there i think there's also a thing in here about judgment um mm-hmm. like donald feels very confident about his judgment sure um and i think that there's a there's there's a a little bit of a hint that when his overconfidence about being able to take human life like that's that's mm-hmm. kind of what the whole nra thing is all about like someone comes into your home you're allowed to shoot them like, yeah. like that's a very permanent solution for that sort of thing, and Judy, in fact, only lets the the witch into her house when the witch is like nagging her about about her ability right. to preserve her own beauty. So yeah, she. Well, it is one of the, it is one of those. It is one of those. I forgot you could tempt me with things I want. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, she shouldn't have let that witch in, but like that doesn't mean that I don't think that. I, oh, I know, I know. I I just think that I mean, like, my take on it is that this that this story almost represents like a Lovecraftian sort of style of because these people were are basically screwed from the beginning. Oh uh, yeah. Well, they I, are faced they are faced with cosmic and supernatural terror that actually they can't. They have no way. There's no way to win against it. Right. Because when Donald is right, Donald has his gun and he first first he outsmarts the witch. And that 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 was actually brilliant. Then then the mistake he makes is that by putting her in the closet 
and and shooting her he tries to be a hero and like fix the problem kind of i guess yeah. you know right and then they bury her and then that 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 ugly necklace which seems to function like the one ring or something such that judy always wants to put it back on she puts it back on now what can donald do he can't do anything because he can't he can't threaten to hurt the witch when she's in judy's body if he but he also can't let her escape with the body you, you know what i mean like what yeah well what, i think that there, there, there Either, so he's left with either Judy as a living corpse or dead Judy, and that's all that that's the only that's the only way this can happen. I know, There's but none no, of there that is would literally ha- nothing he could do. None of that would happen though if he had just let the witch go. Right, right, right. And so then the thing is that like it, it, some of that is is gun, but then it's also the goofy thing where it's like he had to try to be a hero or try to fix the problem. So then allowing the witch back into the world to like steal other people's bodies is the only way, and and that's that's a bleak cosmic terror which is fine which is cool but you know right like the only way to get away from this is to just let some other poor sucker yeah. uh, uh face you know you know what i mean kind of it's like a just look away just run away while you still can yeah um, um and i mean like it is like the most high stakes thing that someone's stealing your body is it's incredibly yeah. an incredibly yeah. high stakes thing to steal from your home but right i don't think i mean and, and it's not even his body it's the body of of the woman he he loves well and it's a, you know, it's so, a body of it's a body of the, the precious thing in his home that he's trying to protect but right. i mean i don't know like i guess to me it didn't seem like the witch deserved to be shot i mean she's a evil body stealing uh <laughs> i don't know i don't know i felt i felt sad and i felt like they like went out of their way to make it creepy when she dies right like mm-hmm. like yeah. first of all he shoots her incredibly incompetently right like He's like, oh, sure, of course, yeah, right. And then when she mm-hmm. falls, finally falls out of the the uh, the cupboard, dead. Then he's like, "Woo, this is amazing! I love taking human life." And Judy loves, yeah, yeah, that. like what a rush, yeah, and she loves it, yeah. And so she I think it's like, I think it's meant to be upsetting. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and he also represents like this funny trope, um, which I don't. I think we still have it, but it's more. It's a more sequestered thing. Uh, of sort of he's like a chicken hawk gun owner sort of where it's like i'm ready to defend my place but of course he like makes faces that look somewhere between he's having like uh, he's having like traumatic brain injury when he's shooting the gun and he's so bad he's so bad at it and he is you you, you you know what i mean right like he has this view of himself as like a hyper masculine superman but also he like looks like a looks looks like an incompetent geek when he actually has to he can't he's not he which is sort of funny because that itself is sort of a weird toxic thing. He's like not actually man enough to use a gun, you know, which is just sort of more of the, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think it lampshades the concept, like um, the thing he keeps referencing is James Bond. Like that's what he yeah. sees himself as. And I think it's just lampshading sure. the fact that like he couldn't be anything further from the truth and may from that. And maybe right, right, right. no modern person is really like that. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, I do. Oh, I do want to mention at the top here. So it begins with uh, the Crypt Keeper making fun of the idea that someone would have a blood pack, making fun of mm-hmm. mud packs. Yeah. Um, are you aware that vampire facials are absolutely a thing now? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I. Uh, but I mean, you know, right. Our Silicon Valley millionaires getting blood transfusions from young people. So I, I super believe that it's a thing. Um, it's a little I would say it's a little less creepy than that. <laughs> so a blood facial or a vampire facial involves um taking blood from an individual like so it's your own blood uh-huh. which makes sure. sense um I, I i mean does it <laughs> it's safer probably than like having like i mean blood yeah, ba- yeah i, I suppose mean, yeah yeah i thought you'd yeah. be like of course it's gonna make you beautiful it's your own blood <laughs> right like i don't think uh, i don't think that the american red cross is gonna get somewhere very fast by being like the kardashians have sagging not like uh dull skin give blood today Here's what happens. We get some expired blood. Yeah. So um, what they do is they they draw blood from you. Then they use a centrifuge to extract your platelet-rich plasma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after they do a round of microdermabrasions, do you know what that is? Um, no, but I mean, I... I, I you know like what I the words mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that, basically, it makes sense to me. It's basically like a tiny, tiny paint roller. And the mm-hmm. roll itself is covered in tiny, tiny, tiny little needles, and they run that up and down in your face so that you get like uh-huh. a million little pricks um, all in your face. 
Um, and then they slather uh, your plasma uh, mixed with, you know, other things um, mm-hmm. back onto your face so it can soak back into your skin where you need it the most. Which you're like, if I needed it so much, why didn't you not leave it in my body? Yeah, that feels really bonkers. Yep. 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 So I did li- I did like that it starts out with something where I'd be like, ha ha, who would ever have a, mu- a blood pack? It absolutely is a thing yeah, yeah. now. It's absolutely a thing. Yeah. So I think that this this um, episode is kind of a funny little, I don't even know if it's really a time capsule. It definitely but, has like weird period piece elements to it, right? Yeah, and I don't even, but I'm not but even sure what the what the period is. Well, it's supposed to the be way, modern day. The way that because he yeah, talks about like, like Nam, they have like like oh yeah, no, 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 yeah, no. it's yeah, it's explicitly said like in the 90s, yeah, um, or or late 80s or something. But uh, just the way that they portray gun culture here and gun ownership is, I think, almost uniquely eccentric. Have you? Because I think that it certainly certainly modern gun culture and the way it's portrayed in the media is not like this at all but these these people are uh or, or donald at least is, is is like an avid gun owner uh parenthetically i love that the house first starts off looking looking kind of uh kind of like an old-fashioned like english man like, like what what yeah what's somebody who watches too much downton abbey thinks is fancy um kind of house it actually reminds um, me of a lot of like um so I live in Milwaukee. It reminds me of a lot of uh, old German beer halls, like lots of carved wood and little little porcel- yeah, yeah. porcelain German uh, scenes and things like that. And and Donald and Judy both kind of speak with kind of faux, like what, what is faux? Because they, they, they make big points of their accents slipping all over the place. Um, faux sort of aristocratic British, you know. Yep. Well, well, hun- well, sweetheart, I'm off to the gun club. Give me a kit. You know, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, so for them, like owning a gun or, or his gun ownership seems to be tied up in sort of a like aristocratic sportsmanship thing. Yes. Like also fox funny hunting. that it starts with an right, episode also, of Fox about a picture right, right. of Fox. Hunting. Picture. Yeah. Also. But anyway, it's funny. So the house sort of starts off that way. But as the episode progresses and I don't I think this is not supposed to represent change. It's just like we notice more and more. The house also is decorated with funny gun stuff. There's gun magazines everywhere. There are lots of framed those human silhouette targets with like headshots and stuff all over the house. And but by the end of it, like the house is, is at least 50% gun decorated. <laughs> yeah. And there's also like, um, you'll notice there's lots of animal prints in this episode. Yeah. Like she oh, right. yes, wears yes. like a lot of leopard. Like she starts the episode in like a crazy, what's called a hostess pajama, which is a, <laughs> which is like a very fancy onesie. Just super real thing. But anyway, so I like that. It's a super real thing. <laughs> I just think it's funny. No, I, I, I 100% believe you. It has like a um, big I think skirt it, and pants. You used to, like Auntie Mame wears a lot of hostess <coughs> pajamas. I like that the episode starts off with them being aristocratic. And then I, I can't remember how it goes down exactly. But the, the doorbell rings and basically they're like, damn it. Who's at the door? And you're like, oh, baby, these people aren't fancy. And I like they open the door and there's the guy who kind of looks like a Mormon missionary, but who is from the gelatin, the something about banning guns. But you see that the neighbor across the street in their like neighborhood is washing his car with like a hose and shorts on. And you're like, Oh, these people aren't fancy and rich. I just think it's it's kind of great the way it's like, if you, a couple times, and if you look out their window, there's like funny, like normal stuff happening around their bonkers house. And you realize that like, yeah, there's just, they just live in a normal neighborhood. Like they're not, they're not rich, you know, Donald probably has like a normal job and it's just like a normal suburban guy. Yeah. He's probably like a CPA. Like, He has a, um, they live in a normal middle-class suburb, but their house <coughs> is is insane on the inside. It is, is an insane museum to their very particular interests. But anyway, it seems funny because I think that gun culture here is shown as being like a prep school upper class kind of thing. It's very sportsman focused, um, which is different. I think now a lot of gun ownership seems to be more focused on operators and tactical, you know, there's a lot of, you know, well, this is exactly, this is exactly the kind of thing that, that we, that our boys are using in Afghanistan, you know, that sort of thing. Lots of black matte finish, whereas this is very much the lustrous wood of the stock kind of, kind of gun people. Um, and, and I, I almost wonder with polarization and gun, whatever, as strangely third rally as guns seem to be in American politics, you think you could get away with showing something like this nowadays? <laughs> Um, I think it would be, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it would be, 
far more. I, I don't know how people felt about this when they saw it at the time. I don't remember this episode at all from my childhood. Yeah, I mean, and even me if I did, I don't think I would have had any like. Yeah, you, you you wouldn't know if people are like, now the New Republic's gonna. Oh, yeah, they're gonna I, get mad. <laughs> I would have lacked the cultural knowledge. I think that this is yeah. this comes off as being quite edgy to my eyes at this time period. And I don't know if this is what it intends to, but looking at it in 2019, I really enjoy this concept of um, faux respectability that is mm-hmm. that is layered over these like violent and unhinged people. And I think that it's mm-hmm. a commentary about how um, like the NRA is like, you know, from my cold dead hands. Like it's like definitely more about like scared, angry white old men. Who are like, right. it's important for me to own a gun. What happens What happens if my civil liberties are threatened? But right, right. at the same time, you know, like you're, you talk about you talk about how dangerous and scary inner city youths are for having big guns and things mm-hmm. like that. And you don't see sure. you don't see that that's like a, that that's a fallacy. I mean, just because just because you are a, a middle class person doesn't mean that your violent tendencies surrounding your own weaponry um, is absolved. But but mm-hmm. we we act like it is like the idea of um, the idea of uh, Clint Eastwood owning a gun is very different from like, you know, a 16 year old gang member growing up in Chicago. But yeah, sure, sure. I think it's the same sort of. I think it's the same sort of it's less founded from the white guy. Like what's going to get the white guy? Nothing, (laughs) nothing. Right. They have like Mm -hmm. less business owning a gun, although it's sad that the 16 year old in Chicago like feels the need to have the gun because they are in a an area where it's just so prevalent. Um, I think it's drawing I think it's drawing a irresistible comparison between the two and talking about kind of the layers of the the veneer that they've put around their their violent tendencies and uh, and Judy's unhinged reaction to her husband's violent tendencies, and it's meant mm-hmm. to lampshade it a little bit. Yeah. Do you think uh, Do you think this episode is sort of effectively anti-gun? Yes. I well, I mean, I don't think it's preachy about it, but yeah, I think the fact that the last line that Judy says is. What does the NRA handbook suggest you do now? Is like yeah. is pretty is pretty scathing. Yeah, I. So I disagree. I think that I think this is like a weird patina they've kind of bolted on top of it. Um, because if it's truly anti-gun, I, it would seem to me that they would have him like shoot the wrong person. He would shoot his, you know, you know, or like kind of a, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. I, I think that oh, and right, also right. Like he would he would shoot he would shoot right, his actual right. wife. But right. Right. And, you know, you know, and so that's sort of the trigger happy thing, because as it turns out, he's I mean, I, I, I think he's kind of an insane person, but I don't think that his his weird trigger happiness comes off as be, for me comes off as being more like a, a crazy eccentricity more so than a uh, than, than, than something that's that's dangerous. Also, that NRA thing seems feels totally unearned, especially because. It's not clear to me that he shoots the witch on purpose. They're struggling over the gun and then the gun goes off and Judy is shot and then the witch escapes from her body and her living dead body disappears. So, like, again, it's one of those like he was he was stuck. He shouldn't. I mean, like he there's nothing he could have done. Yeah. That, well, that, that, that would have resulted in a good ending. All for the anyone. stuff he could have done was before that point. He was once he buried, well, I mean, once but, he kills the witch, it's over, man. Well, but but also like, yeah, and he tried. They tried to get rid of the necklace. Also, I, I think that I mean. Does does and I'm not exactly blaming Judy because again I think we have to assume that that necklace has some sort of like supernatural draw to it. Um, you know, that if, if 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 it was never put back on and it wasn't clear that the witch wasn't dead, um, you know who who would have known? I mean, th- this gets into like the goofy like you overthink the horror movie and you're like, why didn't they just drop it in the river? You know, they already tried to destroy it; they couldn't destroy it. Yeah, yeah. Why not just like you know bury it, bury it a hundred feet underground? You know. Um, but I, but I just, I feel like, I feel like the, I feel like it's a good, I feel like it's a good story, but I feel like it's sort of not exactly effectively anti-gun. It's like they just decide to put this on there. Also, people who are way into guns super are also very into how deadly guns are. Like, that's the whole point. So, you know, friend of the show, uh, Sebastian Gorka, it's claiming to carry a tourniquet around on his body at all times, you know, cause he knows, he knows what the guns he carries can do. 
Um, the NRA manual. It's, I mean, I don't know if the NRA manual explicitly talks about like firearm injuries, but gun nuts totally are very into exactly how dangerous the guns are and what you're supposed to do to like, you know, cauterize the, the wounds and stuff like that. Sure. But I think that there's also a thing here where you don't like you might be you might be able to and have the skills and ability to take life. But maybe you have you're not emotionally you haven't emotionally oh, sure. come yeah. to terms with it. Like uh, to some degree, I think the body switching in this case is really interesting because it's sort of like he thinks he has every right to shoot this this per, this witch this, this witch who's trying to grand theft his wife's body. I mean, you, well, you, but like you, a you don't home think invader. that the evil witch deserves to die? <laughs> a home invader. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I've wondered this too. No, like, no. You, you wait. Hold on. You, you think that she should be allowed to go around and steal other people's bodies? I mean, like supernaturally evil. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, like I don't think <laughs> live and let live. <laughs> I don't think that necessarily someone invading my home, I have the right to take their life. I, I agree. I agree. But but, but if like, that person is stealing your wife's body. I, I suppose. I mean, like, it, it all seems very <laughs> metaphorical to me. No, I don't. Yeah. I think that we are meant to see that his 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 willingness to take to take life is right. is disproportionate to uh, to his emotional stability. Like that, right. that well, is a and, that is a not right thing that he is doing. Right. And and I think we see that at the end where he the British accent comes back. He says something along the lines of this thing like um, say it isn't so. A, I, no, he's like, say it. So I've been a bad boy. Bond, James Bond, you know, that, and then it cuts to black. Right. You know that the next thing that happens is he shoots himself in the head. Yeah. A hundred percent. He kills himself right there. Yeah. Um, ha, and He retreats to fantasy and dies. Yeah. Um, But again, like, I just feel like. um. I feel like the I feel like the story is 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 sort of a how dare you think that your puny mortal ways can can confront the you know cosmic terror, and the only thing is that he tries to he he kind of successfully at some points tries to be a behave like a protagonist, and and is and is smashed for that which is which is cool and I dig it. I just think that the whole anti gun thing is sort of a funny like is a funny like extra layer that I don't think really quite pays off because I don't think it really commits to that being the bit, maybe which is fine. Sign, I, maybe it's a sign of the times. I mean, like I remember at this time period, and maybe it was just because I was a kid, but I, I feel like this is probably so like, this was the time period where it was like, look, if you own guns, you need to lock them up because your children might shoot themselves with it. So, so maybe that's kind of what it's about. Like, mm-hmm. like you need to, so all about the deadliness, blah, blah, blah. Those people carry tourniquets around. But at the same time, like, they don't... I don't think anybody has guns on their house and thinks, like, if you were to weigh seriously the potential consequences of your children getting a hold of your gun or your loved ones getting a hold of the gun and and killing themselves with it, who would who would take that risk, you know? Right. I don't know. I, I, I agree 100%. I just think that the... the the sh- episode doesn't actually pay off in that respect. Again, if he accidentally shot his wife, we're shown to be trigger happy. But again, the only pe- the the only people he ever shoots at are actually the witch, and I'm not convinced that at the end he means to shoot her. I, th- I it looks I to me like a struggle over the only, gun. That's the only murky part for me. I'm more right. and, okay. Uh, I'm more okay. I, I'm with just the saying if they wanted to be. I'm just saying if they wanted to make it like explicitly anti-gun, and so that makes the whole what does the NRA manual say feels. I mean, actually, kind of. Uh, not to not to blame Judy, who is dying, seems like sort of a shitty thing to say to her husband, who was in his own weird, insano way. I mean, insano. And also, what would you do if you, if you woke up and, you know, what would you do in that situation? Um, it, she sort I mean, I feel like she a little bit is blaming him for shooting her. But also what there's nothing they, they were they were stuck. You know what I mean? I mean, well, I mean, what what is what is the ending? What what is what is the happy ending of the story? I don't think there is one. I mean, I think it's sort of like they are the architects of their own of their own demise. If the if the witch, if Judy is not so terrified of protecting her own her own right. like base value as a precious object to let to let this person into her house, then it wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's like it all goes it all goes yeah, back yeah, right, and it's right, not right. it's not yeah, like a right. it's not like a reasonable, you know, maybe it's not reasonable to expect them to be mind readers here. But I, I do think that there might be some commentary there about when you do take people's lives, if you like if you do shoot the burglar who's entered your house, 
there is someone in the world who feels the way about that person that Donald feels about his wife. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 And of so course. why 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 is it justifiable to take this person's life if if yeah. if this is if this is so tragic for them, him shooting anybody is tragic, truly. Well, I mean, sure. Though also, um, I, I would let's let's seg just briefly into body switching and body stealing. Um, do you so I feel like body switching is usually portrayed in sort of a funny way, like a Freaky Friday, you know, allows you to have actors play other characters. It's and, literally uh, a metaphor for see like walking, yeah, right, walking right, a mile right, in somebody, right, somebody else's shoes, seeing right. life through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, this is a relatively recent um literary device as far as I can tell. Um, Mary Shelley wrote a story called Transformation in 1830, which is about a uh, a guy who um, meets up with a weird little deformed dwarf. The words are hers, not mine. And <clears throat> basically agrees to switch bodies with this guy for, I think, money or something. And they're supposed to like meet back up in four days and uh, he'll get his body back. But he never, the, the, the little monstrous person or demon or whatever it is never doesn't show up so he has to like meet up with him and basically like beat the hell out of him and then he gets his body back Mm. (laughs) which again like does away with the whole thing where it's kind of like you don't have any power there why would you uh, i don't know um but then um then vice versa um is a was a book that came out in 1882 and it was very popular um it's about a man and his and his son who switch places and so the boy has to go to the office and he has to go off to boarding school and it like is explicitly the basis for freaky friday and was adapted into plays and is sort of like the i think the 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 popular text for this um which is which is funny because i think um it, it it's played more for comedy and perspective than it is actual like horror um but wouldn't you know it H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, among others, and Mary Shelley's story is, I think, supposed to be kind of scary too. Um, the thing on the doorstep and the shadow out of time both involve body swapping and body stealing. Um, and I think that the master of uh, of comics, Alan Moore, treats both of these in both his uh, League of Strange Gentlemen sequels, where Oliver Haddow, the Aleister Crowley stand-in, um, is a is a, is an evil wizard, kind of like. Um, the wizard in um, the shadow of time who steals the, who like steals the bodies of his uh, followers as he's dying, trapping the new people in the dying body. And he gets to be young. Um, and then Providence, his uh, uh, Alan Moore's um, Lovecrafting takes this explicitly in a horrible direction where a character is subject to body swapping and then sexual assault with his body in the new body and then swapped back, which is like, which, which I think explicitly like, yeah, stealing somebody's body is a violation. I mean, I don't really know if it's exactly like 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 rape, but it is a it, it it's it's on that axis. You know, stealing someone st- steal, stealing someone's body and then making it do things, and then and then almost I think putting someone back in it is then even more in you. I don't know. It's it's a this is funny where you start talking about uh, fictional concepts in real world terms. You know, what kind of psychological trauma do you suffer if a <laughs> If an evil force steals your body and then does crimes and then you get your body back. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it, it, it's a it's a violation of ownership. You know, it's like right. the ultimate the ultimate getting your car broken into or your house broken into is someone taking your body and then moving it around and you get your body back. And it's a question of right. like, like, you know, if you've ever had your car broken into, you're like the idea of someone rifling through your personal possessions and like doing what they will with it and you not being present is upsetting to you. Right. Right. What if they never give your body back? I mean, that's a different kind of loss, I would say, but I mean, I mean, I'm just like, and this I think ties into the whole thing of how, you know, I I just think that like shooting the witch, she's not just a burglar. She is stealing and deeply assaulting his wife, (laughs) you know, stealing her body. That's all. Um, yeah, no, uh, but you're saying you're saying that is it is it more cruel to then get your body back versus it being taken? I just think it's different. I don't know if there's like a yeah yeah because right, otherwise right, yeah. otherwise then you have this thing where you're like you never know what happens to it. Like I, I feel like this is almost right. a question to like take it out in another extreme, being like, is it worse to lose your child and then never find their body, or definitely find their body? And you're like, well, both are yeah. terrible. <laughs> who, yeah, yeah. Who right, right, who right. wants to face either of those possibilities? Yeah. It's it, anyway. It's so funny how I think how like like horrifying body theft is, but it's also something that um, 
I think is not treated all that, despite my exhaust talking about, you know, Alan Moore for forever. Um, but anyway, I think it's usually not so much played for um, played in horror and or if it is the concept of what happens to the other person's psyche or or body is usually not explored too much. Usually it kind of it's, you know, more like demonic possession or stealing and discarding bodies or stealing souls. I think Angel Heart is a body stealing story where the main character is body stolen and then doesn't find out about it until the end. <laughs> Uh, and, um, uh, just, just say that it's, you know, this is usually, this is in, this is something that usually shows up in, I think almost every children's cartoon series that has over 50 episodes has a body stealing episode in it, uh, Freaky Friday kind of thing. Um, Buffy does it at least a couple times. Charmed does it like all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, usually it's sort of funny that in general, I would say most of the, and I haven't done an exhaustive uh, search for every every time this is used, but it is sort of funny that body switching is generally um, used as sort of like a heart in, within heartwarming media, like Freaky mm-hmm. Friday and Wish Upon a Star sure. um, yeah. are all are all kind of the same sort of thing where it's like these people don't understand each other and then they have to deal with each other, the, the reality of being inside yeah, sure. their bodies and now they understand. Which is like mm-hmm. a, which seems like a very, a very harsh sort of lesson to learn. Maybe it is, maybe it does make sense in this, this story because it's like so, if, uh, you know, maybe this is a harsh lesson for Donald to learn about his gun, about his gun ownership. Um, yeah. May- well, or, or, or even, I mean, and I think we, we, we may run the risk of kind of deprotagonizing Judy too much, or I guess her vanity. Although again, it feels so, it feels so unearned, especially for her, but also for, and it, you know, whatever. I don't know. It just it made sense to me, so it didn't really bother. I I, I couldn't think of another way this episode could end. Oh yeah, it no, I agree. To. It like telegraphs it from the beginning. I do also wonder if this plays with something that uh, I don't think a lot of um, the horror of body switching media that I can think of off the top of my head does, which I thought was really interesting. Where you have um, you have this uh, this parallel between. Um, Donald's feeling about human life as being sort of disposable, like, right, he can, like, blow somebody away. And also mm-hmm. the witch clearly sees other humans as disposable, right? Like, she'll, she will she can just steal their bodies and take them, and she doesn't really worry so much about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. But I've never, I've never seen, like, a body-stealing thing like that, where it's disposable human life. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you know, um, uh, the uh, the the Lovecraft stories definitely um, the thing on the doorstep is about um, people being stuck in corpses, and Shadow Out of Time is about a uh, wizard who um, steals body steals steals the bodies of his own uh, descendants to remain young forever. Um, sort of sort of treats that a little bit. I mean, clearly it's a horrific violation of bodily and spiritual autonomy, and I think that's why in horror stories usually the 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 person gets stuck not just in like a different body but like a you know, a, a hopelessly destroyed or dead or something like that. Track I mean, but, but right. But like is, so what about get out? Get out is a, is a body stealing story. It's just that, you know, the, the psyche of the, of the stole of the robbed body is left in the, um, oh, what do they call it? Not the underneath, not the upside down. What do they call it? The sunken place. And and clearly that is so distressing that those people, when when briefly allowed autonomy, opt for death over the continued stealing of their bodies. Yeah, well, or that's really about like the disposability. I think they get at that more where it's like you have to watch the horror of that is that they steal your body and then you have to watch someone else live, live and control, live in your body and control your life. Um, right. from from like definitely a uh, a sideline position that you can't mm-hmm. escape from. So this kind of brings me to my ambush, which is a, another weird hypothetical uh, uh, fictional morality question. So mind control versus body stealing, which one is worse? And then also, what does that say about you? And what does that say about our culture? Mind control versus body stealing. Yeah, because you... So, so talk, define define what you mean about mind control. Like, am I? I mean, I mean, I mean, like, how how commonly have you encountered this trope in uh, literary analysis where they're like, man, you know, mind control is basically rape. 
that like, yeah, oh, sure. you know, and they'll be like, like those Jedi's are all just rapists convincing people to do stuff they don't want to do. That's right. You know, I haven't read anything um, like that, but I like it. Yeah. 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 So, so <laughs> she Palpatine did nothing wrong. No. Um, as, but, a, uh, as a person who has a feminist sci-fi podcast, I, I like this. That makes idea me, this a me, lot. Yeah. This makes me wonder if, um, if, if this, if, uh, Louis CK will be offered a role <laughs> The, the, in the next Star Wars, in the final, in the final, in uh, in in Skywalker's yeah. Last Stand. Yeah. So is mind control like I'm still in my body, but like I'm yes, you're, but your your will is in some way subverted, and you are made to do things, whether it be like like Imperious Curse style or and 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 usually I think that it's usually implied that that's temporary. Though we can, I, I don't know if permanent versus temporary is super important. Um, versus like body sealing, like you, t- I and. What I think about is the way our culture conceives of mind body dualism, where there's kind of I mean, even even when we've been talking about this, talk about like your body is like it's your property. Like it's just, you know, it's just like the the support system for your 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 soul, your mind, you know, something like that. We like my body is not is your body fully you. Um, and, and I think that uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just interested because I think that. In general, we act like maybe mind control would be worse than body stealing. You know, it's worse to to have your will uh, overridden. But I but but I think that that just again speaks to the, our sort of um, uh, the sort of uh, Socratic basis of the way we think about our um, think about things. Um, with uh, you know, you know, my my body is not me. My mind is me. Whatever that means. Because like like right like like outside of fiction, your body is you <laughs> because you are. You are, you are your brain. You are your body. You know, and then there's then you can watch plenty of uh, stuff on TV where they'll be like, "Well, actually, those bugs that live in your gut, those they're controlling you." You know, that sort of thing. Well, we have this a lot with uh, I I I can't find the term for it, but I, I know yeah, that I, like the body positivity movement thinks about this a lot, where there's sort of there's sort of this um, implicit uh, privilege if you have a if you have a body that is ex- accepted in society, if you're a slim white person, preferably male, huh. right? That um, that you can your your body positivity, you being like, it's really my mind that's important. This is just a bag of meat. You're like, you don't have the proper perspective to decide mm-hmm. what body positivity has to be for other people because your body is not. Um, is not deviant in any way to how we think bodies should be, mm-hmm. even though the reality of what bodies are is is also different from that fact, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I think that there's been, you know, there there has kind of been different waves of um, thought with in this in like kind of feminist circles where initially it was like don't look at my body it's my mind that's important you know mm-hmm. like that kind of thing and now it's more like it's it and now i think it's it's kind of swooping back in the other direction where it's like i am my whole person it's important for me to like love and care about the body that carries around my mind and it's equally important for society to do the work to accept these de- these quote unquote deviations, even if they are more standard and more like average than than our 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 sense of of beauty, our beauty standards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of moving back in that direction. So I kind of think we we care about we care about bodies now a lot more um, from a um, from a social justice perspective than we ever have um, or we have in recent time. I've seen yeah, that so, shift. Yeah, yeah. That shift happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just it's highly dependent on which is actually worse, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, probably functionally, they're pretty similar. Like, right. it, yeah, it, it I, depends. Like, am I if I'm want if I'm cognizant of the fact that someone's taking over my mind, that would be, I think, pretty similar to if someone stole my body, but I'm in like a sunken place, you know, mm-hmm. that, sure. that I could see that. Right being being very similar um if i'm if i'm in a more of a freaky friday situation where uh someone i i love and who cares about me has my body and i have theirs that's probably less bad than mind control i don't know it just it's it's very dependent i would say yeah yes although if uh, uh, interesting is it less bad if someone you care about is controlling your mind (laughs) 
Hmm. I mean, to to what end? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I suppose. I don't know. Like, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that we we like to tell ourselves, and you you, I think addressed this, but we like we like to tell ourselves that our mind is not our body and everything. But like, actually, when you think about your per the whole person functionally, it's you know, you you are your body. Yes. And stealing stealing somebody's body, for whatever reason, is is, is a horrific. Uh, metaphysical and physical violation <laughs> yeah ba- based on how we think about like kind of our, our minds and bodies now i would say there's almost no functional difference yeah they're maybe both yeah. horrifying from that perspective it's just like you know if you could steal somebody's body um i think it the the the, the true bad consequences are summed up perfectly in the little dicky uh freaky friday song um what a piece of garbage use, you use your body to sexually exploit people and um fetishize the sexuality of the other um and you uh use it use it as a cover for racism <laughs> and uh you steal people's stuff um you escape from crime <laughs> you uh um get off the hook for gang ties uh and then you uh then you sort of you know in in a sense uh, ass- uh sexually exploit and possibly assault a woman who is also you who is not you because you're just stealing her body it's uh it's it's not good folks no i have a i have a bonus too and this is just a weird different perspective so do you remember um when what's that guy's name joe calls donald um oh yeah i love joe yeah yeah joe joe calls to go to hell like she knew the way i love the way he talks when the witch so right the witch escapes with uh with judy's body um and uh, donald comes home and does not um act like only sin deep and does not immediately kill her uh, but realizes that the, well, the wife's body has been stolen and he puts her in the closet, which I thought was him just being kind of a kind of a dick. Yeah, but um, turns though, out he had like a pretty yeah, it turns good out plan. There was a plan, I think. Yeah. Uh, although maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I think I like him more than you do. Um, um, no, no, no. I think he actually the way he gets his wife's body back is brilliant. I don't yeah, right, think right. that he had. I was I was ready for him to be a to be kind of a jag and then he gets her back in a brilliant way. I was like, oh, he's an OK guy. <laughs> Which is not, which is probably not like, not actually like a, you know, if someone's clever, that doesn't make them good. But. It didn't, yeah. Like I thought, I thought it was clever. I didn't. It didn't make me like him more. But I was. Right, right. But anyway, but anyway, right. Joe considering calls. he locked her in the closet so he could come back and kill her. But again, again, we're talking about a metaphysical rapist. Just to say, I mean, again, maybe nobody deserves death. But if anybody deserves death, I think the witch deserves death. Anyway, but fine, fine, fine. Agree to disagree. Um, but anyway, he says something like Judy's not herself. And he says it in a way where like it's like a like a tagline kind of. And indeed, Judy also says something about um, earlier or maybe earlier in the episode, something about how she, he like this is something that Donald says about her. You're not yourself yeah, yeah, today. Yeah, Donald says it to Judy after she's like, you're giving me wrinkles by pointing guns at my head. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, he's right, like he's right. like, snap out of it. You're crazy. You're not yourself today. This You, you right, have right, my ambush right. question, which is what does this title mean? Oh, I was just going to say, so this to me feels like a very old timey way to deal with like, is Judy, you know, bipolar or something? This totally seems like that, right? Like (laughs) Donald has people all over town who are like, look, Judy is kind of off the reservation and she's not herself today. You know, like she's in a manic episode. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, is, I know, I don't think so either. But like, is this going to, you know, would this be, would this be explicit to like a 1950s audience? Like, oh yeah, you know how some people, they're just kind of not themselves today. (laughs) I did not read it that way, but I did think about this because uh, it's the title of the episode is repeated twice in the story. Right, right, right. Yeah. One, and of course, it's a cheeky wink to body swapping. Like when Joe says it, yeah. it's because right, she right. truly is not herself. Right, um, right. But I think it's important that you have it from uh, from Donald saying it to her, especially in reference to her old aging. I think it might be a little bit more of a uh, like comment about like like who it, who. What makes you you? What is your, what is, how, how are you to know if you are yourself or not at any mm-hmm. given time? Um, and I think that the, uh, this context in which he tells her she's not herself because she's worried about like her, the cigarettes dulling her hair and the wrinkles that that's actually kind of a, it's a quite a cruel thing to say to her in those times because what she's saying is I don't feel like myself. I'm watching my body decay. Mm-hmm. And to then have him be like, no, just go back to being my pretty wife. What's wrong with you? You're like, that's what she's trying. Like, she's desperately trying to maintain that so mm-hmm. hard. 
and it's a losing battle. We all know it's a losing battle, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a. I think it's a. a um, I think that there's a argument for pointing at this whole story as being sort of a futility of trying to maintain your um, your wealth or the, your your possessions in this mm-hmm. way, because we're mm-hmm. all becoming not ourselves all the time. Our sense of mm-hmm. self is something that is, should be very temporary at any one given time. Mm-hmm. And also, potentially, kind of going back to what I was saying about um, how, like, they have this this veneer of respectability and it, it feels repulsive because you know that these are absolutely the kind of people who are, like, inner city youths are scary, you know? Um Perhaps it's really, like, commentary about how quickly one's fortunes can change. Like, mm-hmm. if Donald if Donald is this way and he's, not, and he's not middle class, could he get away with pointing guns at people? Maybe no. You know? I mean, if, I mean maybe. I, I, I don't if, know. I kinda... And our changing fortunes within our own bodies all the time. Our bodies are decaying. We're all getting older. Judy is not going to be able to maintain her beauty that she is holding on to now. The only person who can maintain the beauty that they that they wish is this witch who we've said repeatedly is like the evil character of this show. Right. Mm-hmm. And she does it she does it through theft. Yeah, through like crime. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. I I again, I kind of liked both of the liked both of the protagonists and I just because they're like a couple of crazy kids who are very who are very specifically kind of uh, bonkers in their own way. And I, up until the very end, I was like, maybe there's some way to pull it off. I want them to be happy in their strange gun themed house. <laughs> you're they not, are, you're not alone. Because I feel I like they're both, they're both very, in, and they're very into the particular eccentricity of each other. Like how many times does um, Judy say stuff like, uh, she says something like, Donald, you're so attractive when you're angry. You're so attractive when you're angry. Um, you know, you know. I, 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 just to say though, like, I don't necessarily feel. I mean, and and that that may be objectifying another person, I guess. But I don't like they. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I, I wouldn't choose to speculate. But they are very into each other. Yes, that and is in a true. way where it's you know what I mean. There. I mean, I know, um, but like, like, do we do we would we let Marilyn Manson off the hook because of Squeaky From? No, we wouldn't. Well, no, but oh, like Charles just, Manson off the, Charles off Manson, the hook yeah. because of Squeaky From? No, we well, wouldn't. But but I guess the question is just like, are they? I mean, I. If you want to like litigate it, like, are they actually hurting anybody? As far as we know, the only person Donald has ever shot is the body stealing witch. I mean, not that that that, that is like it's a pretty low bar. To, you know, Donald's not a murderer. Yeah, I mean, I also. But, think- but just to say that if, if being like a cartoon Republican is 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 the terror, you know, and even then we don't. Again, yeah. Does he say something right? Yeah, I don't know. Splitting hairs. Splitting hairs. He does. Just to say, he like, does I point feel like a gun pretty cavalierly at his wife, and also um, at the uh, at the at the guy who knocks at, on his at, door. At Peter Parker, who's coming to his door to be like, yeah. "Do you want to ban all the guns?" Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I I I don't think that Donald is a cool guy. Yeah. No. 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 I I'm think just we're meant that, like, to think that he's a violent nut job. I mean, yes, but uh, sort of. But again, but even then, it sort of seems strangely subverted, uh, which is part of what makes it interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Donald makes awesome dumb guy faces too constantly. The uh, the act the acting on this is very um, pantomime and off the chain. Yeah. Did you notice that when and this is I think a mis- I think this is probably a mistake and not a not something you're supposed to notice. But you notice when they dump the witch in the basement which looks just like the basement from uh, Collection Completed, and they're burying her in a shallow grave that her legs move <laughs> a couple times. I did not notice that, but that's funny. And Yeah, yeah. And then I love um, Donald's uh, Tony the Tiger PJs um, in the end. Good. They are wearing animal print because they're like marks. Yeah. Like yeah, like weird. animals. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. And are they the prey? Yep. I don't know. And then in the end, recall that the Crypt Keeper um, uh, does shoot himself in the head. Which makes me wonder, what's going on, Crypt Keeper, with all of the self-harm? But also, why do we think that self-harm is so horrifying? You know what I mean? Like, with the Adams family are strapping themselves into electric chairs, and the Crypt Keeper, like, kills himself in about a, in about a quarter of the episodes. It's, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I understand why we think it's 
why we think self harm. <laughs> well, so why horrifying. is it horrible? To, yeah, well, I sure. Mean, I understand but like, that part. I don't understand necessarily why we think that um, that like creepy things love self harm when we're supposed yeah, to hate yes. self harm. I, I mean, yeah. I, like, I guess the, <laughs> I only like bad things. I guess the <laughs> like easy, suicide. The easy, the easy and like a doy answer is like because it's deviant from what we should normally feel. Mm-hmm. Like right, so that that's like upsetting and disturbing, but it it it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's real weird. <laughs> Crypt Keeper, get some help, please. Yes. All right, you ready to rate it? Yes. Let's go. You go first. You first. Okay. Asps very dangerous. Um, I liked this episode. I it was very highly entertaining. I liked that it gave it was some it gave us some some kind of meaty things to chew on. Um, it wasn't as straightforward, although that's not necessarily something that I, I need in an episode. But I do like I did like that it was a little ambiguous in this episode. I thought that that was fun. Um, and I I just love the overall tone um, of the story. So I gave this four out of five Hummel figurines. Nice, nice. I um, so I also like this episode. Um, I think that um, while we may perhaps disagree a little bit on on how effectively this the central message, if there is a central message conveyed, I think that it's a, it's a, I think it's, I think it's great. And I think it's legitimately horrifying, but also kind of tragic comic. And again, I just wanted these two kiddos to work it out and live in their weird gun house. Um, but it was not to be, and it hurts so be. good. It hurts so good. So I also gave this one four out of five jaunty PJ sets. Mm-hmm. A hostess pajama. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hostess pajama. It's a thing. I, no, I, I super believe you. I just, just like like it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, of course it's a thing. <laughs> of course, of course, in 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 the fa- in, in fancy human life, there is a thing where it's like, yeah, it's like a, like PJs you like wear when people are coming over. Yep, 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 yep. Next time we'll be covering an episode about a mortician whose commitment to frugality extends to his own flesh and blood. Getting something half off never felt so bad in episode twelve of season two. Fitting punishment. Um, as always we've got in our uh, show description a link to our Amazon affiliated links so that you may purchase your own copy of Tales from the Crypt or anything else that you might want uh, that will that will aid in your enjoyment of our podcast uh, throw a couple of ducats John Kassir's way if you do decide to pull the trigger ha 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 on uh, a Tales from the Crypt box set I'm going to buy some PJs or a kimono. Mm. A satin. A, host- a, a satiny number. A hostess That's pajama. Right. <laughs> I'm going to buy some hostess pajamas, but for men. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah. Thanks for listening to Crypt Creepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the podcatching platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review. Um, you guys know the drill. It helps us for the algorithm so that other people uh, can find us and check us out. Um, be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt creepers to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. And now, till next time, folks, don't live in fear. Or instead of a partner to hold uh, near and dear at the end, towards the end of your life, you could end up like Donald with his gun and only love. Oh, <laughs> Outrageous.